0: Hello, all, and welcome to another episode of The Brevity Code. This episode today is a little bit unique in that um, I'm sharing my story, my personal story, and I'm taking a sort of introspective look and sharing my journey from the garage all the way up through the sale in uh, 2010. So I hope you enjoy what you hear today or perhaps learn something from some of the good decisions that were made to some of the mistakes uh, that were also made and i'd also like to thank the sea life guys for having me on this show they did a great job and if you want to check them out too go to sea life on instagram which is the and then the letter c life uh, also on uh, itunes well hope you enjoy the show On the Brevity Code Podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path Toward our own self fulfillment.
1: We're here with Ryan Hauser. He's co-founder of Paul Frank, which is a really iconic company. When you talk about Paul Frank, people like, "Yeah, the monkey." Like, I mean, that. I love the little monkey. The monkey is everywhere. Like, it's very is a little bit surreal to be here because it's a, a very it has become a very iconic brand. So anyways, uh, Ryan's also an endurance athlete. He is a founder of several companies and, uh, fashion mogul, if we will, <laughs> if we can go so far. So anyways, Ryan's good to have you here, brother.
0: Thanks guys. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure to be here.
1: So, uh, without too much, obviously I could go and give your sort of bio brief bio, but it'd be way better to hear it from you. Uh, you know, you have an interesting background from kind of how you got into the fashion industry to begin with.
0: Yeah. So I think, um, the, the baseline starting point here is probably to have an understanding of, um, we can pick it up sort of upon college graduation where, uh, I get my diploma and my pops is at the other end of the podium. He says, uh, congratulations, son. Pats me on the back. You're on your own. You have three weeks to get out of the house.
2: Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. He really said that to you. He really said. That. <laughs> like, was like that you're, expected based on your no, relationship? You, he's, uh,
0: no. No. Well, sorta. Uh, I mean, was well,
2: he like? A, uh, like a marine or something? Or
0: no, no. He's he's uh, he's tough love for sure. And, you huh. know, um, certainly um, one of my mentors and and someone that uh, I think has shaped you know. Uh, a lot of the good, um, uh-huh. but certainly, um, there was a lot of that kind of, um, uh, guidance and parental, um, self-love. I think that's up. an
2: awesome idea. Jack, this is your father. Prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're, he's, you're in your cap and gown when he says this to you.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm not even <laughs> off the bottom step. Wow. <laughs> and, um, uh, he's like, yep, you're on your own. You got three weeks figured out. And you, it, you
2: guys are Southern California people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Sort of born and raised here. Um and so, you know, I uh, so local, so I graduated Chapman University. Um and you know, didn't I think as as most didn't know what I wanted to ultimately do.
2: What did you graduate in?
0: So as a business calm, so okay. sort of a general, okay. right? And I knew I loved fashion and I knew I loved music. But what is the application of that? Like and everyone loves fashion music as far as I'm concerned, right? So how do you make a career out of that? Um and this is actually what I I spent a lot of time. Did
2: like, you had an awareness of that when you graduated? Like I I would like to try yeah. to find a way to make money yeah. in fashion.
0: Yeah. Well, huh. I actually or, or I music. In, yeah, I interned at Capitol Records. Little huh. known fact about me back in the day, um, when when the music industry was healthy. And, yeah, and a record stuff. company. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Um, so and you know, but my dad was also like the hey man, if you want it, you got to do like the William Morris Talent Agency work in the mailroom and go up. And I was I was into that. That was hmm. cool. So I, um, I worked, uh, I took a job at urban outfitters at the lab here in uh, Orange County, uh, just to buy some time. And while I was in there, this is one of those trajectory points that, that ultimately led to this whole story, which we'll get into, ran into an old friend, said, Hey, I'm working at Massimo, and Moss is, um, opening up a couple stores and I need a guy. And I said, sure, I'll be there on Monday. I'm out of here. And I don't even know if I went back to pick up my paycheck from, from <laughs> Urban. And uh, so I reported to work, and um, I was literally in the warehouse with a college degree. And I said, okay, that's fine. I, I made sort of a goal. I said, give yourself three months. you got to get inside those doors in three months, or you need to go get a real job.
2: M- and, meaning like outside of fashion?
0: Yeah, yeah. and And my okay. pops, again, to his credit, was sort of like you know, where do you want to work? You know, you're going to do outside sales for one of my buddies that I've, you know, you've been golfing with all these years. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't even really like golf, to be honest. And I thought, okay, <laughs> this is going down a path on a life that I don't want to live. I don't want to wear a suit. No one's going to tell me when to shave. I don't like golf. Don't make me do this life. Uh huh. And that was a driver for real,
2: you know? So you felt as though that was your plan B. And yeah. you, you worked your ass off to avoid that.
0: Absolutely. It was like the flame under my butt. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And... And so, and my father was very entrepreneurial, come to find out. And which was weird is I don't recall ever us in a time having a conversation about, here's what the entrepreneurial road looks like, son. And, and which I, I can look back now, which, and I, maybe it was a way of him guarding and, and protecting me and saying, you know what? I know that road, that's a hard road. I don't want that for you. You know, Hmm. um, and or hey, I've I, I've done all this so that you don't have to.
2: There was you never know? that you are saying.
0: We never had that conversation. Mm. No. And so again, going back to my you know my my passion for for music and, and fashion and whatnot, he never sat, He never said, "Hey, you should pursue that." Why don't, you know, what is it exactly that you love about those disciplines, and how do we get you engaged in that? And that's not a that's not an attack or, or anything like that. It's just. Um, again, I think maybe he was trying to protect me and just didn't know how to communicate it.
1: Uh huh. So, so you're in the warehouse at Massimo, and you got three months to get inside.
0: Yeah. So, so what's that look like? Well, so I, so, yeah, I was making uh, $3 and 75 cents an hour. That's what it looked like. Wow. Um, and I was busting my butt, sweating in the warehouse. Where,
2: where was the warehouse?
0: So it was in, um, was in Irvine. Oh, okay. Um, off Baranca. The first one. Then he moved uh, to San Canyon. Yeah. So, um, the one thing I figured out was every day at 10 o'clock, there was a coffee truck that came out and Moss being a charismatic, you know, super warm and friendly. Well, <laughs> that's being generous. Most of the time, um, <laughs> he would come out and he would hang with the, his staff. And, and so I would go to this coffee truck truck, hoping to get noticed and I was buying bagels and coffee that I couldn't even, it would cost me an hour's like, worth of work. Saying, like <laughs> half, yeah.
1: half the day's work I to mean, buy a, a coffee and bagel.
0: So, and I just would stand <laughs> in the line and I'd, I'd turn around. Is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? And one day he called me over and he's like, hey, kid, you know, what's your name? And uh, we started talking. He said, well, what do you want to do for me? And I said, well, I want to I be either be in your marketing department or, or on your design team. And then, okay, cool,
2: whatever. Wait, was it, it was it normal to have people start in like a warehouse position with hopes of moving into a, a position that's more fashion-oriented? So he was a bit unorthodox,
0: and I think to his credit. So I remember like on one of my first days, I met like his Southern California sales rep. Um, who's, this guy's nickname was Fuzzy, and he's like this. <laughs> just, yeah, a great dude. And was already making six figures. And I don't. I'm pretty sure that he didn't complete a formal education. And I remember thinking like, what was I doing? Like this guy's clocking. I'm 21. I've been busting my butt. I'm starting at the bottom and what? That doesn't seem right. Um, <laughs> uh, but so Moss was, you know, willing to take chances on guys and give people opportunities, uh, lots of rope and see what uh-huh. happens. So, uh, th- three months I get the nod. Um, I, I move inside. I had a position for a brief period that was really not suited for me. I was a like a, uh, some sort of inventory control manager, which was just me with spreadsheets is like the worst thing ever. And I was a total failure. And honestly, again, to their credit, they should have cut bait right there. Just, you're done. You don't have it and wrong seat. And they, you know, Moss said, Hey, I'm, I'm putting you in the marketing department. And I, I think just
2: randomly, he did that.
0: Well, he knew I wanted to be there. So he knew oh, okay. I was because of
2: that conversation. Yeah, yeah.
0: But still again, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't impressive in that first <laughs> role. And, uh, that's just the truth. So I get in the marketing department and there's a brilliant marketing guy. That's the marketing head. Um, photographic memory going a hundred miles an hour, slept like two hours a day. Hmm. Um, so he was like my first real boss, and he was a maniac, and he was brilliant, and it was like the perfect. I loved everything about being at work and just soaking up everything the guy said. And and so I have him, and and I have Moss. Um, so so by the way, I'm doing a PR position. Just so, so they, they put me in charge of what they call it the men's public relations, and it was a very interesting time at the company as it was forming. Um, As my role was forming, uh, they began to groom to go public. So I was working with a press relations firm, an investor relations firm, an entertainment and media marketing firm, um, and running the communication between the departments and running up th- ideas and things to Moss and to uh, the uh, marketing head. Insane. Like I just, I was the full Bud Fox Gordon Gecko thing, 21 years old with not power but connection and access. Uh And so Moscow's public. And so
2: that's really an amazing time.
0: It's such an exciting time and everyone's young and there's a great energy in the office. And one of the things too, it's kind of funny on a, on an office dynamics note that I always remember that was an influence later at Paul Frank was, I remember, you know, he was hiring and they were shoving like three and four people in a cubicle at one time. And, you know, there was this great energy and the communication was flowing. And then once we go public and we moved into like a hundred thousand square foot office space and had a 200,000 square foot, uh, uh, warehouse and and distribution facility, the energy left the room. And there was tons of space between the employees. There was no communication and it just felt dead. So I always took that. I always liked that, that, that tightness and that, yeah, hey, it's good to expand, and, and at some point, yeah, you need to grow your business. But there's that there's a good there's a great creative juice and groove you get into, and you know you got to harness that, and and maybe don't push the expansion too quick.
1: Uh huh. So, Moscow's is public, and then you stick around a while, or
0: so. Yeah, I'm there. Um, it's the heyday. I mean, we <laughs> there's I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff, but. He took me under his wing and um I was really grateful for the opportunity for him to really show me the ropes and he you know, he showed me he gave me a taste of what true success was. And, you know, he'd he'd come by my desk and say, Hey Ry, we're we're flying to New York for fashion week and you know, we're gonna get on the jet. And I mean again I'm like, What? Okay, (laughs) okay, yeah. And I get on and there's supermodels on the plane and it's it's like I'm dreaming. And it, it, <laughs> it's not that I necessarily n- like needed to have that later, but what it did show me was that with hard work, these are the things that can happen. So again, they, they were never my end game, you know, uh-huh. but, but I certainly never really contemplated such things before. Um, and it was a great motivator later on for sure.
1: And It so you, shifted you, your
2: you, worldview quite a bit, basically, right?
1: Absolutely. And you worked pretty closely with him. Like he was uh, like a a mentor to you. I did. I mean, it wasn't like you were just an underling, like you were, you were pretty close to Moss.
0: I mean, yes and no. I, I, I think certainly, you know, employee level, I was not even in a management position. So I think, you know, I had my role and I knew my role. Um, But on a friendship level, there was, there was a few of us that kind of ran around with him and did things on the social level, which gave me, I think a little bit of an elevated um, access. And I think he... Um, wanted to, maybe he saw something in me, you know, I've never asked him that question
1: so obviously we know that at some point you leave, is that something were you happy with the position did you want something else, like what is it that, was so, it the, the expansion, kind of lost the magic
0: so there was a lot happening, so Moscow's public and you know I think soon after um, it, it kind of becomes the rise and fall where his stock value after I don't know how many months or years starts to decline and they're starting to have the layoff scenario happening. So again, now we're in this beautiful new building, but now people are getting laid off and it's just kind of this negative vibe that's happening in, in there. And I actually felt like, um, my days were numbered. Um, because I, I, my, my job could be outsourced. It, it could go to an outside agency or it could get absorbed by someone there. And now, uh, in fairness to that comment, I had already the Paul Frank business and the roots of that business were already up and going. So, um, the, the jumping off point and really the sort of defining moment, I think of my career and perhaps my life trajectory, um, was we, we had went to a trade show again. So I'm working the, the front of the booth for Mossimo who's got, you know, a forty by a hundred, you know, and upstairs in a little humble ten by ten is John, Paul, and myself. Um, and so, in between my breaks, uh, working the front of Moss, I'm, I'm sprinting across the trade show floor, up the escalator, down the hall to those guys out of breath. Hey, who do we see? I'm sending I'm sending all the Mossimo accounts there. You know, hey, I know after you see this, go check out my new little thing I'm doing up there. Probably not the most ethical thing, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, only the top doors, only the top accounts I was setting up to. Gotcha. So, so you,
1: you had a kind of already started the Paul Frank thing and then, but we're kind of moonlighting it until yeah. a certain point And then you're like, Hey, this is where I want to go with it. Yeah. And,
0: and I'll, we'll do the backstory on that part too. I'll skip ahead, but just so you can get a sense of the jumping off at of Massimo was, um, we ended up, we ended up doing really well that, that particular trade show, um, so well, in fact, it gave me the confidence. And that very next week, um, I walked into Mosimo's office. I'd written him a really nice letter and said, "I'm leaving to go do what you did," you know, and it gave him a hug. And you know, I certainly was. It was a very emotional moment for me because here's someone that, for last uh, close to four years, had invested in me and shown me the way. And now I was kind of leaving the nest and kind of doing a thing. And I was scared to death. You know, by now I was making decent money, but, and I had crazy, crazy contacts and, and one of my jobs was taking all the pro athletes and all the celebrities and rock stars and every just, dis- again, he trusted me to communicate the brand message to all those people and to be the face of his brand when people came in to, to see him for the tours and stuff. So super cool role. Now I took all of that with me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I knew all the accounts. I knew all the sales reps, um, so yeah, everything funneled through the marketing part. Everyone wanted free stuff, right? I was the gatekeeper of the free stuff.
1: So, anyway, so, I left and yeah. So, but so let's rewind a little bit because you meet, you meet Paul. Your your connection to Paul is kind of interesting. The way you guys got you guys got connected and decided to start doing things. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So to frame this in a little bit. I graduated college in 1994. Um I met Paul during the college years. I would take study breaks at downtown Huntington uh, on Main Street there before it was kind of all built up and there was a newspaper stand there and there was this very eccentric guy who worked at the newspaper stand and um I was in a thrift shopping back in the day and wearing vintage clothes, used clothing, basically. I couldn't really afford anything else, so I did my best. Um, and one day I was wearing some some uh, vintage jeans, and, and uh, this guy was like, "Oh yeah, well red salvage jeans." I was like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" And, and we started this conversation, and it's t- it totally awkward. and then it even got more awkward um, when he said, um, "Hey, can I make you a wallet?"
1: And I thought uh, <laughs> hmm, that's, a <laughs> oh, that's a little bit weird hey, you know my saying right? It's only weird if you both think yeah. it's weird. Like, no, <laughs> I make all my friends' wallets, <laughs>
0: yeah. um you know it turns out you know it was a very genuine and endearing gesture, and something that um he would do uh if he huh. if he had a liking to you or you know, so he said, you know. So he comes back with this um, shoebox full of scrap vinyl and snaps and thread colors. He said, pick everything out, come back in a week, and I'll have it for you. And I said, okay. I'm totally intrigued at this point. Like, what is this thing going to be? Is it a train wreck? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. So um, I, uh, I came back the next week, and um, sure enough, he's like, hey, hold on. I got your wallet. He comes back, and he hands me this wallet. And it's good. It's a little rough, but it's it's also – it's well done. Like the stitching, the detail on the, on the, on the stitching was very well done. And I just was sort of taken aback by the idea of like, who knows how to sew? Like, (laughs) I don't know anyone knows how to sew and who's takes the time to make someone a wallet of their own time. And then I went to pay him and he said, Oh no, no, I made this for you because you're my friend. And I thought, wow, it just was one of those moments. And from then on, I, I was always like, I I need to kind of just stick around this guy and just see what happens because that was a freaky thing. And we started to have coffee more and more. And so now, now as we're forwarding, I'm working at Massimo during this time. I've graduated, and now I'm working at Mossimo, and Paul and I are meeting. We're having coffee, and he starts to show me more and more things. And he's starting to make things around t- and selling them around town, um, one-offs, literally just one purse One backpack One wallet One guitar strap For this band And We're having coffee one day And he pulls this particular Purse out And it's It's fantastic And he's like What do you think And I'm like Well I, I mean I don't know It's a purse how did, Yeah
2: how did you know That that was a fantastic purse At that particular point in time
0: um, Because it showed Knowledge of pattern like he, he it's, it was three-dimensional. Yeah, because
2: you're
1: and you're in the fashion industry at this point, yeah. right? So you're you yeah. have a, you're starting to, to yeah. cultivate an eye
2: for yeah. this sort of thing. And how, how long were you in the fashion industry at this particular point?
0: Mm, only maybe like a year, year and a half. Okay. Um, so not not very long, uh, but long enough to see some things and hear some things. And, and uh, he said, "Oh, I made it for my girlfriend to match her dress," and I thought that's so cool. And we just had the light light bulb moment. I just. I turned to him and just said, you know, we should start a company. Like, I we should just, we need to do something together. Let's start a company. I don't know what that means. I'm working at this massive company that's on fire. I'd have no ability to get it anywhere. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. I'm just a guy <laughs> in marketing, you know, but I just turned to him and said, let's figure it out. Let's move your stuff into my, I so now I'm living, I, I graduated. And I was living at uh, downtown Huntington, 15th and Orange um, you know, the, the, the typical, uh, drug dealer next door, dude with a pit <laughs> bull on the other side, like hard, <laughs> hard HB.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and I had a garage, a little, um, carport with nothing in it, a little enclosure with nothing in it. And I said, "Well, move your table and move your sewing machine into my space and let's do it. So he's like, okay, cool. And, um, so he's making one-offs and now as he's making things after work, from Mossimo, I'm going around, I'm selling If you made six of something, I'm walking into Huntington Servants Board, these local um, shops, and saying, oh, I'd like to talk to your buyer, and I, I'm, here I am with this stuff. And by the way, you can't do that. Like, it, that's not how it works. Yeah. But you know, in the mid-90s, I guess. But you, that's just not how you sell product into a store. I didn't know any better. And and everyone actually, every time I brought the product in, all the salespeople, like, well, they'd flip out. Like, this is so cool, I've never seen anything like this. And I still don't know that we have anything at all. And w- but what's what's quietly happening, unbeknownst to us, is that um, there's this pent-up demand that starts happening around Huntington Beach in this sort of the greater Orange County area, which is like if you know these guys, maybe they'll make you something, or maybe you but you have to know them. And we're, that was nothing we were cultivating. And in our business, we call it the, it's the scarcity model, right? So it's this mm-hmm. idea of having this limited demand and, uh, sorry, the opposite, having a limited supply and this pent up demand. So this was, this was a real thing that was happening. So by the time we go to our first trade show and pop this thing, it immediately explodes and it goes so good. In fact, that we booked a half a million dollars in orders at the first trade wow. show oh was that
2: gosh. was that the trade show where you were running back and forth, yeah, yeah, wow, that and is it, crazy, and beyond that it was the so type- that's
1: part that's part of the reason you felt confident for sure with leaving is because you're like, hey, we have people that want to want to buy this thing we're making
0: yeah, and this is back in the day again, the business, the industry's completely shifted. this is when um you accounts would write an order they would leave you what we call leave paper, they'd leave an order with you, and you don't do that that's not how it works anymore either um And so we literally had paper in hand, half a million dollars. So the next hurdle for us was, uh, so we were elated. We're like, wow, Kelly, we, we,
2: now you have to deliver, right? Well, you got to deliver, you got to pay for it. Right. So we
0: don't, who's got 250 K, you know, we need half this to pay, you know, for the production. So, um, I went to my dad and I said, oh, you know, and he, he'd been kind of seeing, he's, (laughs) He made some comments. How many products
2: um, did you have at that particular point in time?
0: So, really, just um, a wallet collection. So, several different styles of wallets, a couple backpacks, um, a couple handbags, some t-shirts, and some guitar straps.
2: Hmm. Guitar um, straps.
0: Yeah, Paul is a great guitar. He is a great guitar player. Huh. Um, and so he'd it's make himself- so like
2: a passion project. He's like, I, I, I love this. Yeah. this. is what I want. Let yeah, him make and he make
0: them for his band, and then um, hmm. you know they they do their they're um you know they do a show and they play with four of their local bands um so yeah he was super into the music scene which was great too cuz you know you got those guys out there rocking our straps on stage and people are like <laughs> well, you know totally unique um so i went to you know my dad to see if he'd help finance it and you know he's like um well first of all you have a job and you have a great job and i think that you know, you might want to consider staying there. You know, we don't, you know, you're, you're you're going from Mossimo to a guy who made you a wallet that works at a newspaper stand. And I was like, and he said it a lot more colorful than that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I, you know, okay, that's, that's true. That's a truth pill for sure. Um, but, but again, as, as I was saying earlier, there's just this, there was a drive and something in me that knew this was the right lane for me to be in and um, and I wanted to do it and so I jumped at that point and um, as to how we were going to pay for it there was a Japanese businessman who was standing outside of our booth for three days witnessing this craziness happening and he came up to us afterwards and he said here's my card I, I want to distribute your product in Japan uh, in addition to that if you guys ever need anything let me know and a lot there's a lot of glad glad handling that happens at trade shows and hey call me I'll hook you up and this and it's a lot of BS and fluff. And so as we're going through the orders uh you know John says to me hey um we should call that guy from Japan and ask him for money. We'll give him part of the company and we'll you know we'll, we'll see if, we'll see if he bites. And so just to give you basic structure I mean we what did we know it was a third a third a third. So the the dynamic was myself kind of doing the marketing and sales and sort of general outreach and having the most business knowledge at the time, Paul doing pure creative and John was the business piece, um, finance. He came from a finance background. It was, um, very entrepreneurial, um, and, 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 good with the numbers and, and, and whatnot. Um, and he was sitting with Paul and I early on, he was a friend of mine and he was making some suggestions that, um, I found really beneficial things I d- I wasn't thinking about until pretty soon you know he's sitting at that table with us as this, this thing's growing and by the time we get t- to the trade show he's already on board as a third partner. So we call the guy from Japan and um, sure enough uh he's he's a great guy and we're friends to this day um and says yeah I'll, you know I'm in I'll wire you the 250,000. And I just again those things don't happen no contract literally wired it the next day and we agreed on a percentage he just
2: wired the money crazy just wired there's no on a handshake. agreement there's
0: handshake we gave him 17% of the company oh, wow and how did you guys but hold on how, how, how did we, what, you
1: guys did t- wait, we where did. It was how arbitrary was se- like cuz you guys are all kids right
0: yeah well, and you guys how yeah. did you guys
1: come up with 17% so
2: it diluted each of you equally or yeah
0: exactly so okay. we're, yeah Dude, I don't think the word valuation can like, I don't even know what that meant.
1: So, uh, 17 sounds good. Yes. Yeah.
0: 250,000 250, should
1: equate to about seven by my calculations.
0: Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> right.
0: So, um, several years later, um, we ended up buying him back out of the 17%, uh, which made us essentially whole again as third partners. Uh, and, you know, he made, I feel good. He made good on his investment.
2: Do you mind um, if I ask what you bought him out at in uh, the future?
0: Dude, I honestly don't remember. Um, he probably, I mean, he sure, for sure doubled his money in a couple of years.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He, that's he, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He was probably super happy.
0: Huh? Yeah. And, he, you know, he distributed the brand and, and you know, he was he was doing well there as well with it. Um, so,
1: so th- I mean, this could be like a two and a half hour interview cause this, all this stuff is awesome, but for sure there was some, so let's kind of fast forward into you guys are growing. Cause one of the things that I think is interesting is you guys had a, uh, for, for now is more commonplace, but back then you guys had a really unique culture at Paul Frank. So talk to me a little bit about how you guys called. So you guys are, so the. The trajectory from that first trade show is is upward, right? You guys start growing, things are going well, and you guys create this culture where like everyone's rocking mohawks and <laughs> yeah, really? Oh yeah, you had a bit, If you did, you have a mohawk?
0: In, uh, yeah, I did. I did <laughs> uh, before I went bald. I, I did. Um, yeah. If you walked into our office and you had a mohawk as to opposed to being clean cut, you had a better shot of getting hired with a mohawk and, <laughs> and full sleeve tattoos for sure, which is <laughs>
1: which is funny because that that type of culture seems you know more commonplace nowadays, but back then that must have been so counter cultural yeah, yeah for sure so now, now is yeah. this now uh, Paul sounds like a pretty eccentric guy, yeah and you know, you were really into fashion and me, the music scene and all this. So, was the culture kind of just an outflowing of your interests, or how did you guys cultivate that? Was it was it intentional? Uh, I think that's a good
0: question. I think um, I think the the culture was established. It was a reflection of my sensibility and Paul's sensibilities, certainly. The um, fact the matter is we were lightning in a bottle from that first trade show. And, you know, we made money the first year. And so literally if you were a friend of mine and you had a pulse, I hired you. (laughs) I mean, you know, my buddy, that was Valley parking cars at the four seasons. I'm like, uh, dude, you're pretty smart. Um, you need to come in and you can do production and you're a (laughs) handsome guy. You should be in my marketing department. (laughs) And you know, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm, that is true. All those things are true. Uh, at the same time we're coming up, you know, you have, you know, great brands at like Quicksilver and Volcom and um, doing their thing and, and, and they're local. And people wanted to be part of our energy and what we were doing. And those companies were already huge. And I think there was a bit of a disenchanted culture that was starting to seed itself there because those brands were starting to get very corporate. And so we ended up getting the byproduct of that, you had all these great kids, talented kids that wanted to come on board in, in this frontier brand, right? This totally irreverent punk rock brand. And so we were able to, 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 to grab a lot of that youth culture, um, that, that did have the brand experience and the industry experience with us. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it, that's how it was formed. And everyone hung out. Like I hung out with the employees. The employees all hung out. People were dating. Probably not the best idea. It was happening. You just again. What do I know about management? I don't know anything about management. I was never a manager. I've been managed. Um, and so, yeah. Until the HR person gets hired, then you learn about that kind of stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: but so that you know, we always had live music. We we would ha- we set up a band room in our in our office and when bands were touring between when they were coming down the West coast, we had some pretty connected guys in our, our marketing team are very involved in music. We would go in there like we'd have like, you know, the guys from, you know, um, bad religion would come in. Um, got them blanking. There was tons, tons and tons, of bands that would come in, not necessarily bad religion would practice, but I would go, I, I play drums. So I'd get in there and get to jam with those guys. And just had the biggest smile on my face ever, but everyone would stop what they were doing when, when band guys were in there and, and there'd just be a total breakout jam session. So, and there was dogs around the office. Could, I mean, not in the back. I mean, like roaming, um, <laughs> And but it was cool. Um, I mean, like maybe
1: eight dogs, like a lot, you know? Um, so, yeah. So Julius, the monkey, yeah. was not always part... He, he came
2: later, right? Oh, I didn't know the monkey had a name.
1: Yeah, Julius. So, so, um, tell, me, so tell me about how... Ju- I mean, because so, Julius... Everyone <laughs> equates Paul Frank with Julius, <laughs> yeah. right? So exactly, because you think yeah. pa- Paul Frank the monkey. But um, yeah. tell yeah. me about when Jul- the Julius thing. He looks yeah. like a Julius.
0: He does, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> um, that's you know, he's the central figure to this whole story. Um so one night in the garage and back in the Huntington days, um Paul walks in and, and that same purse that he had shown me several months back, he had cut out of vinyl um this monkey face out of these, you know, symmetrical shapes and and sewn them down. He put it on a purse and he's like, Hey, what do you think? I just came up with this character. And I was like, "What? Like, I don't don't know. Like, (laughs) it looked like a kindergartner did it, you know? Yeah. And which is obviously part of its charm. And but at the same time, I didn't get it. And I really, it was like, I don't get it, dude. Like, who's going to want that? (laughs) And uh, so it was
2: on a purse.
0: Yeah, he put it. The first time I saw it was on a purse, and then he quickly totally ignored my slam job on that and put it on a on a wallet. And the magic started to happen in a big way. Um, And, you know, come prior design meetings, we'd sit there and, you know, he'd he'd talk to me about, hey, I've kind of got this theory and this theory and, and whether I thought... I was in agreement or not. He'd be like, "Remember, you didn't you didn't think Julius was any good either." And I'd say, "Okay, yeah, you got me." <laughs> oh on that one. yeah, that's his,
2: <laughs> yeah yeah. And and d- that was his hammer for oh, the rest dude. of your, yeah. your <laughs> relationship. Game set.
0: I got nothing on uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't see it, and that's okay. <laughs> what I did know was that once we had something, was that we had something so special, it needed to be guarded and cultivated and positioned relentlessly. And so I think if there's any contribution I had to the success of Julius, it was we didn't allow a lot of access. So I spent more time saying no than I said yes. And so I think the end result of a perfectly drawn character on Paul's behalf and me guarding this thing and cultivating this thing and and how we positioned it uh, from a marketing standpoint, and the bands we put it on, the people that were wearing it and the people that were associated with the brand is what, what led to the longevity of the brand and created the cachet for the long term play, which allowed us to go into several product extensions and really kind of get the name out there so yeah.
1: so let 's fast forward a little bit because um, before the point because uh, you eventually got acquired by acquired by Sabin brands right Saban yeah. brands Saban, uh, Saban yeah. brands yeah. which is the the Haim Saban is the yeah. guy who owns Power Rangers oh okay and yeah. so um, between it obviously wasn't a straight line there's a point at which you guys ha- came went through a really tough patch and Moss came back into your life right yeah so can we kind of fast forward to like so let's let's, gla- uh, yeah. so let's skip over the good years yeah and let's get to the rough patch
0: sure yeah so Moss and I have a very intertwined, uh, history where once we started the company, my dad suggested we form a board. I called him. It was my first call. He says, yes, I'll be your board member. He comes on soon after that. He realizes he wants to buy the company. Uh, so he has to resign off the board. We say no, uh, cause I was still a pup and the business was on a trajectory and, and there was like, what else was I going to do? We were loving what we were doing. So he resigns off the board. We still were cool. Uh, So as a result of the partnership, uh, dispute between Paul and and John and myself, Paul had left the company, I think around 2005, um, we were actually in a position to replace, uh, that, that role. So once again, I called Moss and I said, Hey, you wanted to buy this thing a few years ago. Now's your chance. Um, come in and be our partner. And he said, didn't say yes right away, but uh we went and we went and pitched him, and he agreed um so now the three partners are Moss John and myself um, and so now you to paint you've also got the economic downturn starting to happen you've got uh you've got years where the brand went from rocket ship uncontrollable growth um, to um now there's a partnership dispute there's negative press out there there's damage control I'm doing and the business loses money and then loses money the next year and then we're slipping so we we had deviated focus from the the core business as a result of that lawsuit for sure um, but just just general retail um, confidence was was waning too and we were in a spot and Mosmo says, okay, well, I'm on board now and I have a plan and we are going to change the business model from a wholesale, uh, model. And so we were straight vertical too. So we had Paul Frank stores. There was six Paul Frank stores in the U S and we owned several of those. Um, a couple were licensed. And then abroad we had 30 freestanding brick and mortar retail stores. So Decent amount, you know, a robust retail division, right? Um, We sold in 65 countries at the time. Uh, We had 125 employees around this time. So pretty, pretty good size operation. Um, Something I never thought that I would see. Um, You know, we never made a business plan. We never, (laughs) how do we get there? How do we, okay, no, we just, it just happened. So... The bad years. Yeah. So how do we, how do we flip the script? So Ma says, okay, it's going to be tough, but we're going to, we're going to become a Disney and a Sanrio model, which is a licensing based model. And what that means is you stop manufacturing. Um, well, at least we did some, you can do a partial of course. Uh, We only had about eight licensees at the time. So we were doing like watches. I were very specialized types of things, bicycles, bedding, things that we didn't feel were in our our wheelhouse to manufacture. So we we had some licensees existing. In the year 2009, we proceeded to lay off 100 of the 125 people. Wow, that's rough. Yeah, it was super heavy. Super we would call departments hold departments in, knowing that only one of them because because the development calendar of a company is on a calendar year, certain uh departments would be immediately affected, and some would would go all the way to the end to you know to the guys yeah. that are shipping the product out the end of the door um so you know if you're a department of ten, maybe we'd keep one, maybe we keep two, and uh, again, I just said these were all my friends, and uh it was a really to difficult i can't difficult doesn't even that word doesn't even work um, soul stealing and, and just super depressed and it, it's 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 you hear like those rock stars and i don't I'm not compare myself to rock star, but when they say there's lonely places i I think I can relate on some level to that in knowing what that empty space feels like so we successfully on the positive, we successfully transitioned and and we, we end up that year. We, we let all those great, great talented people go, um, who had, you know, been in the trenches with, and we had our, our retention was insane. Like no one left the company, you know, everyone was lifers there. People had Paul Frank tattoos. (laughs) You know, imagine that you got a Paul Frank tattoo and now I'm going to call you in a room and I'm going to, we're going to terminate. It's terrible. So, we successfully transitioned that model. We go on to sign up 110 licensees. So now we're actually generating cash because we've got advances and guarantees against future royalties and such. So the so Moss, once again, you know, pulls a rabbit out. Company's now completely turned around. We're making money. We had now opened up the, the closely guarded brand, and we now went mass. So we're selling Target, Pennies, Kohl's, Sears, um, we, that, that wasn't a decision that I was necessarily good with. It's not something I ever wanted as an end game for the business. Um, I always felt like when I handed someone my business card, I wanted it to mean something. I wanted to look down at that and go, huh, wow, that's you. Okay. And now I felt like maybe, the brand became
1: something else. So when you move from the manufacturing model to the licensing model, was that sort of like the beginning of the end for you?
0: For me personally, yeah. For the brand, no, you know? Yeah. But for me, um, I was not being genuine to myself. And I think the intent of everyone there. Yeah. So, Now we're fast forward to a small office, um, which is just a design office, beautiful design studio. I'm overseeing the art department and it's great. super talented bunch. I think half of them are at Disney now, um, (laughs) and as they deserve to be. And, uh, but I would sit in my office and I would just look at my computer screen and it would just, I'd glaze over and I'd say, what am I doing? What am I doing? what, what? And I, my thought was, if I'm not bringing the energy as a leader, walking out of my office and bringing that leadership and enthusiasm and passion to them, how can I expect anything from them? I can't expect good creativity. I can't, I can't expect, I can't expect anything. I really can't. And so that was it. I walked into John's office and I said, um, I'm done. And I don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, okay, well, I do. So, so, but he was like, look, man, I don't begrudge you. You go do what you need to do. And let's just see if we can work this out. So yeah, as you mentioned, the end game is we were able to round up the wagons between John Moss and myself and bring Saban, a great company and a very strategic um, value add partner in terms of their ability in the, in the media space. Um, and so we were able to get a deal done. We were all happy. And um, I so here's how ironic that was. So who gets retained on?
2: Out of the three of you?
0: Yeah. Me. Oh, man. <laughs> they want me
2: to stay on. Not the other two.
0: No. You know, Moss, whatever. Moss has got a, a dynasty and an empire. You know, he's uh-huh. got a million things. And uh, and and John had other pursuits. Um, and I, I also, you know, not to discredit John, he's a brilliant business mind, but I don't think that he, they, they have a whole group. They have, you know, Savant's got a team that, that does finance yeah, function.
2: Yeah, that. I understand. It yeah.
0: just didn't, there was no need. And uh, so the one guy who wanted to leave doesn't get to leave. <laughs> uh, so they retained me for a three year deal and, and, uh, I lasted 18 months and they, they were, they were very gracious when I, I said, look guys, you know, I think after 18 months, you don't, you don't need me. You got, you got this. And, uh, and, and so, you know, the brand's gone on to, to flourish in the Pacific Rim, China. It's a massive, I was there with another brand, um, and was astonished at the amount of Paul Frank that I actually saw on the streets. Like, you know, outnumbered Hello Kitty ten to one. When was, oh, <laughs> oh, crazy. Crazy. Yeah, wow. Crazy. Uh unfortunately I don't get to enjoy any of that revenue stream
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, that's being derived from that. But uh so yeah, the brand's living on. They created, you know, media properties and created a um a show for Nick Jr. And it's cool. It's cool to see that. And do you
1: think I mean When you have your most honest moments, like do you think the direction, like where the brand is now, whether moving from the license whether moving to the licensing model or selling to Saban brands, like is that is that what was best for the brand at the time? Or you you feel like you you know let it go in a in a in a meaningful way?
0: Mm. I think the brand was going to be successful regardless of my participation in it. It was so far beyond, you know, me trying to push and pull the brand in, in directions. Um, and the reach was so great. I, I so I, I don't. I, I think it would have. You know, yeah. Look, from an ego perspective, nah, man, it would have been nothing without me, right? No, I think. Um, I think it would. it it, as it continues to go on this long journey um would i like to see things return to a little different place with some of the aspects of the brand yeah i would and i think i could help them get it there but you know that's not my fight right now
1: fair enough that's awesome (laughs) what a cool story and what a I mean paul frank's such an iconic brand you know there's just a logo that's recognized all over it's super cool um what are you up to now so
0: certainly, um, my favorite thing to talk about is my podcast. It's called brevity code. Um, and I, it's a, it's a, it's a selfish play for me. It's a, it's, I get to have fun talks and learn from, um, people that, that interest me greatly. So, um, these are entrepreneurs, these are philanthropists, um, athletes, coaches at all different levels. And so really just sort of taking all the things that, that really get me out of bed in the morning with well, the coffee guy and, yeah. and, um, uh, from common room roasters, you know, great guy. Um, and I love coffee. So yeah, let's have him on the show. So that's, that's, that's as much as I, you know, am thinking about who's going to be on my show. Could be, com- it's, it's random in, in that sense, but in the spectrum of my interests, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So doing that and got um a few brands uh that that um I'm sort of currently in an advisory role. They're super fun. Um two of them are tech apps, um uh mobile e com platforms, one's a real estate play, um one's like a curated shopping social media news feed, um crypto play. It's it's really interesting. Hmm. Um and uh it, it's that's a fun one. Uh and the third one is a brewery. I love beer. I get to, the other day. There was like a meeting. I got to taste twelve beers. That's what I did. Like <laughs> for my awesome. day, that's
2: work for so, the day. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Hard, um, hard day of the office. Yeah, awesome. So, so you're working on the podcast, the Brevity Code, um, and then advising some of these companies. As yeah, well. yeah. All right. Um, in all seriousness, I could have done this for like three hours. Just <laughs> so much cool stuff. I have. Uh, I have you know gotten to talk to you you know previously about other stuff and there's so many cool stories that come up over this um but we want to transition to what we call the muzzle load round okay uh it's sort of it's sort of rapid fire but not that fast you know we just kind of it's like a medium fire you know like we're gonna ask a question and then give you time to answer you know kind of muzzle load around so um what have you accomplished accomplished in your business you're most proud of I
0: think that I was able to, myself and my partners, that we were able to cultivate a business um, where families were able to flourish. People that came to work with us were able to buy homes and start their lives and have children. So I'm very, as a a father of three, looking back at that, I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you could go back in time, what would you tell the younger version of yourself?
0: Oh man, the younger version of myself did it right, man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I didn't leave a lot on the table, dude. Uh, but I'll tell you this. Um, here's the crazy thing. That success was fleeting. And so I think on the daily, I was very head down, focused on a lot of times, short term objectives and not picking my head up and looking around at all of the things that we were accomplishing as a company together. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's gone. It's gone. So
2: So meaning you didn't appreciate it enough at the time. I, Is that
0: Yeah. The, yeah. the
2: the actual process of it because you were too focused on accomplishing?
0: I think and when you're in it, you think this thing's gonna go on forever. And then life yeah. happens and things things change and, mm-hmm. and it and it and it's pixie dust, man, and it goes away.
1: Mm. Yeah. Crazy. So you look back on this and think like it was it just happened like that. Yeah. Crazy. What are you reading to, listening to, or subscribed to currently for personal or professional development?
0: Yeah, kind of random. So um, I vacillate between books, audiobooks, podcasts, and taking people to lunch that are in my phone. And I'll explain that in a second. Taking people to lunch what? Taking people to lunch that are in my phone, like my (laughs) contacts list. So um, I I get my education from Joe Rogan.
2: Um, (laughs) I listen to Joe Rogan
0: every single day. And I think he's fantastic and he's doing a lot to push a lot of awareness out there on a lot of different topics. Um, I, Ryan Holiday is great. He writes great books. Um, He also has a thing called the Daily Stoic and it comes in my email every morning and it's my little reset when I'm having a cup of coffee. Um, And he's
2: a big... Daily Stoic. Daily Stoic.
0: He's a big um, philosophy guy and he believes, uh, he doesn't believe, he he subscribes to the method of the Stoic philosophers Uh and... um, it's a really great um, palate cleanse to start your day. Hmm. Check that out. Have
2: you read anything about mm-hmm. Stoic philosophers prior to listening to the Daily Stoic?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, I try. There's Seneca, Marcus Aurelius. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will go back and, and refer Seneca's, I think it's called The Shortness of Life. Um, and then Marcus Aurelius uh, is called Meditations. And it was um, notes he wrote to himself that were never meant to be published. Mm. And they're fantastic. And it's, it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's great stuff. And, uh, I defer to the expert. I'd go to Ryan Holiday for better clarity on, on those things. But they talk about things like, um, you know, sort of the man who takes, um, the, the view of, you know, fretting about every day lives a short life.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: essentially what it is.
2: Hmm.
1: So, the, and then you said it's like, there's like an email newsletter. Like yeah. Get that? Okay.
0: Yeah. The daily stock. Um, I just finished uh, Scott Galloway's The Four, which is uh, the book about Facebook, Google, Apple, and uh, um, what am I leaving out? Amazon. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. Great. Crazy. We'll scare you, and at the same time, you'll want to buy stock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's um, awesome. And so yeah. what's, the, what's the taking people out to lunch thing?
0: Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, we go through our lives, and we meet people. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're cool. Great. It's cool. And you're on to the next and i i just i'll go back through and i'll look at my contacts and i'll say wow that's a really inspiring man or woman and again it could be an entrepreneur i respect or um it could be a thought leader whatever those things are and i'll literally just text them or call them and say hey we haven't connected in 2 years i'd love to just get together with you and and have a little face to face and they're, you know, sometimes they're, they're friends and it's cool. Sometimes it's like, what is this about? And I'm like, no, I don't have an agenda. I just, I respect you and I just want to hear your story. I just want to hear your story. How did you get to where you are? And it's just a cool, I feel like we all have that. Like we all have people in our phone. We want to talk to more or people that, um, they may have said something one time in passing and you never have forgotten it.
1: Hmm, yeah. You know? It's like the, uh, it reminds me of the book by Keith Ferrazzi, never eat alone. You heard that, read that book? It's, no. It's all about that. Like just a, any meal is like an opportunity to yeah. connect and to learn and to grow and, and meet people. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, um, last one. Uh, what habits, routines do you have that you, you use to stay on top of your game? Yeah. So a um, couple
0: things. I try to meditate. Um, I'm super bad at it. Um, I try to.
1: Practice. You're bad at doing it. Like you're bad at the the act of meditating, or you're bad at incorporating it into your routine.
0: All of the above. <laughs> um, so no, I, I really do try to um, have a, a a more of a disciplined day. Starting off, waking up, reading a bit, um, and then trying to meditate. But again, I also have three little kids, and sometimes that just doesn't happen. Or and a dog now. It is not the. It
2: just <laughs> doesn't. Is it one of the eight that used to roam? No, the my little
1: guy passed away. We oh, have a new sorry. One. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, so, what what type of meditation are you talking about? Mindfulness,
0: mindfulness meditation. Um, and uh, so that's how I. That's if I if this is the perfect day, it's waking up, reading a bit, doing a bit of uh, meditation, um, having my coffee before the house wakes up, um, and certainly I don't let a day go by without some sort of physical fitness. Um and then it's I really try to practice um keeping all my buckets balanced. So family, friends, selfish goals, um spouse, they all need equal equal footing in my opinion, equal attention. Um and then lastly I do this thing I call the everything list. And I'm 45 now and I'm a bit more forgetful than I was. So literally I have an ongoing email that I write to myself once a week and I send it and then I forward it again and again and again. And in it, it could be vision. So it could be something as simple as here's my housekeeping things I need to do this week, fix that window, tighten that screw down, right? Those are those little things. But then it could be um, something more meaningful, like, you know, find a new book, go to lunch with my mom, like what, you know, what those things. And then it's, you know, I've got top line notes on each of the companies that I'm working on, and then I've got a, a scrolling thing of these are my future podcast guests, guests that I'm trying to get on the show. Um, and so it's this rolling. It's not. I don't. Um, it's a blurb. It's maybe a couple of words. Uh, so I don't make this big, long, bogged down thing. But um, I look at it every day as a snapshot. It really helps me frame my day. It's a visual that's right in front of me.
1: You do that it's, once a week. I write in it every day. Oh, you write in it every yeah, I, day? Yeah, I
0: send it to myself once a week.
1: Oh, gotcha. So you yeah. like keep a draft in your inbox. It's exactly. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then you send it once a week. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. The everything list. Cool. Yeah. Ryan, this is awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Thank to you share so more much about your for joining
2: us in the love sacks.
1: Yeah, the love sacks. Yeah. We're <laughs> hanging out. Um, for everyone listening, uh, check out the brevity code very very cool because of the diversity i listen to the brevity code very diverse set of guests so the odds of finding something or someone that you latch on to like the one that you did with the lady from skip one awesome you know like i said coffee athletes the whole thing so check out the brevity code um and yeah thanks this is awesome
0: Guys, thanks for having me. This was super fun. Um, I hope I didn't clog your airways too much. But, no, it's uh, very <laughs> cool. It's just
1: like, you know, a lot of people see the monkey and they don't know, like, everything that was behind that. Now so they know so, about the monkey. Now they know about the monkey. Julius. Julius. That was a lot to that monkey. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Thanks, guys.